Good day, my lovely listeners. You are listening to the Forty Orty Podcast. Tune in every week to explore inspiring stories and insightful information that dive headfirst into the world of autism and mental health. With all those tantalizing tongue twisters out of the way, let's get into the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Forty Orty Podcast. My name is Thomas Henley from the Asperger's Grove Channel. And more importantly, from the 40 Auto Podcast. And today, we've got another episode for you lovely people. And we are talking about autism and anxiety. Yes, one of the things that I'm sure many of you out there will have some level of experience with. And I've got a very special guest on today. It's Krista from Neurodivergent Rebel. Say hi, Krista. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. How are you doing? Oh, I'm I'm doing wonderful. I'm ready to geek out about autism. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Um, so yeah, you have a quite a, a large social media presence. You do. Um, you go on a few podcasts. You make a lot of videos and stuff on Instagram. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and? Um, the kind of things that you do. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I, I think, you know, we're autistic. When we say we're autistic forever, we're born this way, we die this way. But some of us don't know we're autistic until really late in life. And I'm one of those people. Uh, I didn't find out until I was 29. And that had a really, really big impact on me. And, you know, when, when I was diagnosed, um, I was lucky because the person who diagnosed me gave me recommendations for books and voices of autistic authors. Uh, and so I started in that place. And my, also, I was lucky because the person who diagnosed me didn't paint this as something wrong with me. She's like, there's nothing wrong with you. You, you, know, you just think a bit, you know, she's like, she framed, I don't remember what her exact words were, but she framed it, you know, as if I, I'm different, I'm not wrong, um, which you know, so important just getting on the path because there's kind of two roads you can take when you're diagnosed. You can go down this destructive path where I'm a defective, broken human, or I just everyone's horrible. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And it's like I I went on the path to okay, I need to now figure out how to adjust my life and respect this new information about myself. Um, But you know, I the autistic voices helped me. But then when I went on the internet and have you ever gone, I'm sure you have, gone to the internet and typed autism into Google and see what your search results pop up? I've seen a lot of um, a lot of things to do with autism. I've seen some Reddit posts about people's experiences and I've seen a lot of statistics and mental health and stuff. And But what's it's, the top result? What are the top results? What are they talking about? It's all medical gloom and doom. You know, it's not autistic voices you're finding unless you really, really dig deeper, you know? Yeah. And I couldn't find more autistic voices. And so, you know, all you find like the DSM and you find the blue puzzle people and you read on their website and it's all this gloom and doom and, you know, the, the medical language, like, you know, the, the, the diagnostic manuals, in my opinion, reading that, 
you know, they, they're even pathologizing things that I feel are my biggest strengths talking about, you know, our interests being, um, problematic. And I'm like, no, that's, yeah, that's like my biggest skill. Yeah. It's a pain in the butt. Sometimes there, I will admit like, I can't let things go. I cannot let things go. And I will make myself a mental mess because of it sometimes. But that's also why I solve problems and I'm a good problem solver because I can't let it go. And so I saw that duality, but the stuff that was easy to find on the internet was all talking about the bad and the problems. And I couldn't find anything that reflected more what I felt was my own experience. Because yeah, I do know there are weaknesses out there, but I didn't need a flashlight shown on my weaknesses. I know what, you know, we know what our fault faults are and where we're, we're lacking. Um, especially when I was diagnosed, I needed reminders of, you know, that life isn't that bad and it's going to be okay. <laughs> Cause it, I, I wasn't in that happy place at first. I was actually a bit angry and I even went through all the stages of grief. I'd say as I, you know, the information stuck in, like I, I was in a denial phase and I, you know, I was mad for a while because I was like, how could they miss it? Looking back, it's so obvious because, you know, I have baby videos and all kinds of things. And I took all that in with me when I was diagnosed. Uh, I was luckily a very well-documented child. and I have living relatives um, that were close to me that were willing to uh, be interviewed. Um, so, you know, that that made it easy, but not everybody has even that privilege um, you know, to have those things needed to verify all of that information to get an accurate diagnosis. Um, and it was like a wormhole I fell into, you know? <laughs> and you're, uh, you're sort of like, you started your social media after you were diagnosed or was it more of a transition mm. from something else? No, it was after I was diagnosed. I had so... Let's see, where are we now? So we just got into 2020. Um, it's been about, it's been a little over three years now. It was like the fall, um, my birthday's in March and it was like in, I think September or yeah, I believe it was in September when I was diagnosed. I don't remember the exact date, but kind of towards the end of the month. Um, and I think I spent maybe a few weeks trying to figure out like, because after I went to the internet, like within a few days, I went to the internet, you know, because I was trying to understand what it meant to me. And then I went to the internet, I was just so disgusted and angry, because I I was like, this is lies. This isn't me. I felt like they were, they were lying so much, you know, about everything. I was like, this is not a, you know, I, I, it, it, it sparked something in me. And maybe it's because I was in that anger phase of dealing with the diagnosis. I don't know. But like, I put that anger into like, oh, I need to like, fight this fake information. And so I knew I was going to start a blog. Um, and at first, it wasn't really even going to be about autism. I was just going to talk about things that I thought were helpful to people who were autistic, whether they had a diagnosis or not. Because the thing that also, you know, with me being someone who didn't find out until I was almost 30, um, it's like, wow, how many other undiscovered autistics are out there? Because my life was so, like, it wasn't, you know, it was unnecessarily difficult in areas that I didn't need to be struggling in because I didn't have the information. And it was like, like, oh my gosh, how many others are there out there? And it was like, we need to get the information out there. But if I had only read the medical manual, like, I don't know if I would would have been able to move forward. Definitely. You know, you know, like you were saying about um, sort of like the initial sort of Google reports and 
it's it always seems to be either for medical things or for parents of autistic children it it mm-hmm. never really seems to be um highlighted as something to do with like autistic adults and and teenagers and personal experiences it always seems to be quite quite ironically quite black and white and <laughs> medical and yeah. oh we need to fix this and do that and mm-hmm. get over this whole autism thing um which obviously is not very helpful to someone looking up looking up about autism no and it's all about children too and so then me as an adult it's like oh i'm not looking for that information because obviously you know i don't resemble like i can read the stuff about children and go oh yeah i remember myself when i was younger and i guess it was a little bit more helpful when i was recently diagnosed because i was reflecting on my life through the new lens of autism i'd been handed you know and everything in my life like kind of stories kind of got rewritten once I had the new information, you know, but, um, it's just, it's all, it was all a process and it was all about, but you know, I needed information from adults too, is the point. And it, you know, most of it was about kids. Yeah. It seems to be very sort of parent child heavy when mm-hmm. it comes to, um, things, uh, things that like companies do to raise awareness of mm-hmm. autism. It seems to be very much like in that sort of line not much deviation Mm -hmm. but you know hopefully stuff like this is gonna is gonna help and so you've talked a little bit about um you know the way that you came across your diagnosis and the the setting up the channel um what why have you chosen to be an influencer like what drives drives you to do what you do and what do you hope that you'll achieve yeah. Well, first I want to say, I don't know if anyone can like choose to be an influencer, you, you know, like, I don't think you make that choice. I think it's kind of like made for you. Like you go on the internet and you start putting your ideas out there. Um, but unless what you're saying with, you know, happens to really resonate with people, um, like, and then it just kind of happens, but it, it's mm-hmm. almost like it has to happen naturally. Cause there are people that are out there and, you know, have, are, are saying things on the internet and they might have quote, say they choose to be an influencer, but if nobody's listening to them, you know, I, I don't think it's, it, yeah, it's, and it's like, I don't even like that word influencer. Like it sounds almost manipulative in a way. Cause you like are yeah. influencing people. It's kind of a weird word. And I've seen, I've seen that with myself, like, like there was like something that came out last year or the year before it was like top autistic influences or influencers of Instagram. And I was like, Oh, weird. That was really weird to see myself listed as an influencer. Um, one I've seen recently though, someone called me and I liked it better though. Instead of influencer, what was it? Hang on. I'm thinking, I pulled out of my brain archive. Oh, they said thought leader. And I was like, I like that better than influencer. Doesn't it sound a little bit less? I don't know. I don't really want to be someone who like influences other people. I think of myself (laughs) more as like a teacher. Like I'm an mm-hmm. educator. I don't, you know, like I feel like it's kind of different, but because I use social media as my medium to do that, like influencer, I guess is maybe the technical word, but I don't like it. I just don't like it. I don't know. Maybe it's like my, I'm like overly particular language thing, but I don't know. It's just a weird thing. 
what what drives you to be a thought leader oh <laughs> um well just like all of the lies all of those lies um you know it's um having been diagnosed and looking around at a lot of people in my life and people I care about um there's obviously the genetic component um you can see it in mm-hmm. families and relatives uh and i am lucky because i've had a lot of mentors especially with work and business over the years um but there's so much misinformation out there um and it's like i want i i feel like i can't stop until people don't like the first answer when you at like you t- say hi i'm autistic like make, people don't answer like oh are you sure or no you're not or you can't be everyone's on a spectrum yeah those things like i want all of that to go away because it's like really <laughs> hard to try and come out to someone like and you're kind of like ready to it's like okay i'm someone who's come out in more ways than one you know as someone who considers himself part of the lgbtqia community so i've come out in you know two ways you're autistic and then you know this uh this other way and they're very similar. Like you are pouring your heart and soul out. Like you're coming to admit something very personal, right? To someone. And can you imagine, um, you know, if someone says, Hey, you know, I, I want to, I want to share something really personal with you. I'm gay. And then they say, no, you're not. I don't believe you. Everyone's a little bit or gay. Everyone's a little gay. Yeah. <laughs> like we wouldn't say that right now, yeah. but n- now that sounds really ignorant. Yeah. And so I like someday, like, um, pushes it down pushes the meaning behind of it yeah it reduces it down yeah, yeah i get that it's really dismissive um and so it's like i'd love for that to go away but then i love for also but that won't go away unless people kind of have a better understanding of what autism is and right now because what's been peddled in the media and what's you know what's what everyone thinks um people don't understand that every single autistic person is very, very, very different. And all of our experiences are very different. And we're all shapes and sizes and colors and ages. We're adults, we're kids, you know, we're everywhere. You know, we're, you know, grandparents and parents and we're doctors and, you know, we're, we work, some of us. So some of us don't, you know, we're everywhere. Um, But people don't understand like that, just like non-autistic people, there's a wide variety, you know, of different looking and, acting autistic people they they just i, I want to fix it <laughs> yeah you want to fix that i want to fix it and, and it that's your, <laughs> your hope your hope for it all my you obsession to, i can't your obsession. stop i can't <laughs> stop until i fix it yeah it's 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 a it's a love it's a love and hate because it's like ideally i'd love to work myself out of a, a, a job in that way, you know, because wouldn't it be great mm-hmm. if we just didn't have to talk about this anymore? I mean, I love doing this, but like, honestly, like if we didn't have to have these conversations, everyone's lives would be so much easier. Yeah. If it was more integrated and it, people, people had a better understanding of it at a, it's at a young age. And uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. More teachers. More teachers. More- teachers more inspirational people like like yourself of course (laughs) (laughs) okay cool right so today we're going to be talking a little bit about anxiety aren't we Um, Ah, 
no fun. What are your experiences with anxiety? Your yeah. lows, the effects on your life or relationships, the support that you have or haven't been given? Yeah, so much like autism, I have had anxiety, but unlike autism, anxiety plagues me. <laughs> autism yeah. is just an explanation. But mm -hmm. anxiety has been a plaguing force in my life, and I didn't know until I was diagnosed autistic because I also received an anxiety diagnosis with that. Mm -hmm. um, and even when I got that diagnosis, like I was still in denial, like, no, I don't have anxiety, even though it's like, yeah, my heart is palpitating and I am sweating in my hands and my armpits and I'm nauseous in my stomach and my head is racing and I can't slow down. And I, you know, I have all the physical symptoms, but in my brain, I was just so used to that being my normal operating level at all times that I just had become habituated to it. Um, and I didn't have the vocabulary for like anything mental health or anxiety because nobody talks about that stuff here or in Texas. Like nobody talked about that when I was growing up. Like I didn't understand like, you know, like I would have panic attacks and I, you know, you think if you don't know what that is, like you think you're going to die when you're having a panic attack and you have no idea what it is. So like I didn't know what any of that was. And a lot of that had been happening to me regularly throughout my entire life. And it was like you know, this big bad monster. Um, and so like, I started to finally like, okay, well, let me learn more about anxiety. And, you know, once I really started to understand what it was, and like the more like the, you know, the, the brain, that's what I really started geeking out on brain stuff is when I started to learn more about anxiety, because I wanted to defeat the anxiety monster. It's like a task, you know, I'm like, okay, it's a challenge. This anxiety is something I've got to defeat. And at first, it was like, I'm fighting this anxiety. Um, but then it became like, you you kind of have to realize like now I've just come a long circle. I realize it's kind of a part of me, you know, like it's probably always going to be there. Like, like, a, like a friend, I just kind of have to get used to. Um, An annoying yeah. friend that causes you discomfort. It's like, constantly. Kai, you're back <laughs> to sit on my couch and bother me. Get out of here. Leave me alone, you know? Um but, A little you know, demon. Yeah, the little shoulder. demon is back. But it's like, now it's like, oh hey, okay, how long are you going to be here now, you know? But <laughs> I mean, there's, it's, there's ups and downs, like mental health, like it's, it's like a roller coaster, right? You like ebb and flow. I, you know, it's, there, there are things I, I feel like though, you know, when there's like been dips in my mental health, I can kind of look back and it's never like for me, cause every, you know, everyone's different, but for me, there's never been like, there wasn't some kind of trigger trigger that started me on kind of some kind of a spiral you know, mm -hmm. and usually like when, before I was diagnosed autistic, you know, I was trying to do things that were the most unautistic things possible because I was like, I can do anything I put my mind to. And I was like, just push. Yeah, I just need to push harder. And I had destroyed my self-esteem because I had realized I can't do these things. And I was like, why can't I do this? Everyone else can do this. I feel like it's so simple for everyone else. And I had destroyed myself and my self-esteem and I was falling apart. And a lot of times that's kind of like something will be a trigger that will kind of like either my my sense of self-worth or my stability feels like it's been taken away. And then, you know, then it kind of goes there from there and it can go downhill. And anxiety, like when it's benign, it's like little things that are more innocent. Like I, 
I have to second guess every single email and I have to read them like 50 times before I send them because like I am afraid there's going to be a typo. And then sometimes I still hit undo and retract the email and reread it one more time just but you know, just because it's like, that's, that's like the, the little anxiety. That's like real little, mm-hmm. but then it's like on the bad end, it's like, if I s- let it go and I start getting more and more anxious, I can get to the point where it's like, I feel like I want to push everybody away. Um, and like, I, I like tell myself like I, cause I hate myself. So certainly nobody else could like me. So everyone else must hate me too. And like, you know, then I start feeling like I just need to get up and leave and just disappear. And it's like this, it's like always, and then like now, because it's like, I realized that it had, I've, I've done, it's happened so many times in my life. It's like a pattern. It's like, I'm getting to the point where I realize, oh, this is that really bad, vicious cycle again. But I, you know, and so when I was younger, I could fall into it for a much longer period of time, you know, and get stuck there. And I may have got stuck in it for years when I was you know, in my teens, preteens, and that, you know, hormonal age and time where you know, oh, I was that, kind of a moody oh, teenager. Gotta, yeah, oh. yeah. I was kind of, <laughs> I was a moody teenager and I had a lot of anger issues back then. Talk about explosive meltdowns, like stereotypical in that way. Um, but, <laughs> you know, and that, that, those come from anxiety too. It's being overwhelmed and just being completely overwhelmed. Um, and that's like the really dark side, you know, it, it, it's, it, it can be really isolating. Um, and, and it's like, I even slipped into that for a couple months this year, I'll admit, you know, but it's, it's, uh, you know, there was a little bit of a trigger to that as well, you know, just like there always is, but this year, like, you know, I, I remember, you know, and it's more fresh cause it was, you know, in the, in 2019. Um, but you know, the thing that stands out is like, I, I was more aware of what was happening to me and then like I feel like I steered myself out of it quicker than I ever have before because I knew exactly what was going on and like I was like okay well none of this is rational this is just anxiety talking and I just can't trust this voice in my head right now unfortunately and it was it was easier than it's ever been and it's like you know when you're when you you have that mental health dip it's like one day like you will wake up and you just feel like yourself again for the first time, you know, since you don't know when. And it's like, wow, this is really great. You know, and you wonder how much it'll last if it's just going to be one day. Uh, but then, you know, you wake up the next day and you still feel okay. And you're like, okay, you know, and you do, and you start counting the days and then that you feel normal. And then eventually you, you've lost track. Um and that's where I'm at right now. And so I hope, you know, I continue in that direction because I don't know how many days it's been anymore, but I, I'm feeling better than ever. And, but I'm cautious because I don't think, I don't know that this is ever something that like there's a cure or it'll be cured or the anxiety mm-hmm. will go away. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's here <laughs> and it might, you know, it gets better and I get better at mastering it and dealing with it and, uh, having compassion for myself and understanding what's happening when when it happens, but um, yeah, it's it's a it's a process. And love being able to you know have a little bit more self compassion, I think, was really important. And I didn't have that before I was diagnosed autistic either. Um, I needed the diagnosis to be able to really start, I think, liking myself a bit more and stop being so hard on myself. Yeah, I think um, like what you said about just always reminding yourself when you get into those sort of hyper anxious states is, is, is really important. 
because it's um i think when, when you're anxious your your brain has a tendency of trying to fix it mm-hmm. which which is also part of the reason why you're anxious because mm-hmm. you're trying to fix it and then you're like oh no and you go in these wild thought loops and you start spiraling because you think about one thing but then oh no i've got to do this and then, oh but no i've got to do this and it sort of goes around in a circle and um it makes it makes me stressed out just speaking about it yeah. like this <laughs> yeah you think about it you're like oh i remember but That's then exactly it makes how you grateful though when you have those like i i'm so much more grateful for these good days yeah me too and i think um just before because we were supposed to do the podcast um i think a few like a couple of days ago and um there was some some issue with the wi-fi Mm-hmm. And um, I couldn't seem to get it working, and I was I was literally just sat at my computer. My my girlfriend came in from after work, and I was just sat at my computer, just constantly refreshing and turning the Wi-Fi box on and off. And oh, uh, it was it's hard because I was like my brain. I was trying to fix it, and I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And and kind of started spiraling either. and I was thinking, yeah. oh no, no one's ever going to want to talk to me again. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm missing people around. And, uh, it's, but then as soon as I come out of it, it feels ridiculous. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. And it's more embarrassing when other people see it. Like, I know, like, even with like a meltdown or anything, like, when I'm like, I, I want to go be in private. I go, I know, I always know where the bathrooms are, you know, like I always know where there's a bathroom so I can go hide in the bathroom stall or if I need a moment alone. It, it's terrible. I was literally talking, I was literally talking about um, knowing where the bathrooms were in my, in my previous episode. It's an anxiety thing, I think. But I don't know, it might be about the sensory being thing too. Like for nice. a sensory like a little, being. You, you can know? lock yourself in. It's a nice it's little like, tight area. You can just, as you long know? as there's no hand dryers. No, of course, yeah. Definitely. Big stipulation. No, not a fan of the old hand dryers. So, yeah, uh, obviously, you know, anxiety is a, a very tough thing to handle with. Um, is it, has it had any, like, effects on your, like, relationships and things in your life, like, to do with work or anything like that? And is there any sort of support? that's been put in place because of getting the diagnosis? <laughs> well, insurance in America, <laughs> our system is really interesting. Like we have to buy insurance and that's a few hundred dollars a month. Then we have to pay for it or they'll charge us a fine on our taxes. Uh, and the insurance, you know, isn't even that great a lot of times and they don't want to pay for anything with mental health services. And so it's like, uh, you have a deductible and then the mental health services have their own separate deductible. And it's like, unless you've paid a bunch of thousands of dollars out of pocket, you don't reach that deductible in a year. And so it's like, well, what's the point? So it's like, I haven't gone like to go see anything because my insurance is like, well, we don't want to cover mental health, which is so annoying because mental health is just as important as physical health. Everybody has mental health, you know, it's, and everyone could potentially have a mental health issue where they need some help with their mental health. So our system is a bit broken over here. But, you know, what I've really, you know, been doing, and I am a big self-help nerd. 
you know, I, and I'm a very self-driven kind of person. That's why, you know, I don't spend all my time out socializing. I spend my time alone in the computer, looking up things on the internet and researching how to do things and trying to figure out how to do things, you know, without having to ask, because, you know, I always never liked to ask questions growing up. I just was like, oh, well, if I can figure it out on my own, I don't have to ask, <laughs> you know? Um, so that I went that route with mental health and I got like a bunch of books and I was like subscribing to podcasts and I was watching YouTube videos and I like really, what was really, and I was already really into like yoga and meditation already because, well, you know, what's interesting about that is, you know, I said earlier, I didn't have vocabulary for mental health things, but I knew something was wrong not autism, anxiety, you know, I knew, I knew something was wrong even before I had any kind of diagnosis. It was like, there was something I was trying to soothe with the yoga and the Buddhism and the meditation. I was trying to tame my mind, you know, quote, the Buddhism, tame your monkey mind. Uh, you know, I was like monkey <laughs> mind. That is so accurate in my case, you know, okay, I got this monkey mind and they're going to help me tame it. And so I was really into that. And so that was really helpful too. Um, but so I was just really like, okay, I'm responsible for getting this anxiety under control and I'm going to, I'm going to get it, you know? And so I, I took a really, uh, it became like one of my interests is like, okay, how do I fix the anxiety? How do I deal with that? Mm-hmm. Um, cause that's really what, what haunts me. <laughs> yeah. Anxiety is pretty much the worst thing in my life. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's kind of, it makes everything, um, really difficult and it makes everything negative especially in the peaks especially in the peaks um but it, just in general like even small things like taking a step outside or getting out of bed makes everything really difficult and i've gone through periods of time where my anxiety levels have been so high that i've just been inside for like weeks mm. and I have, you know, it's it's affected my ability to study and my ability to work and talk to people, which is obviously quite needed. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it it for me, it's been it has been one of the hardest things for me to deal with. And then also, you know, you have that comorbidity with depression and stuff that sort of sneaks itself in there mm-hmm. when you when you experience anxiety for such a long time. It's, it's not a great thing. And um, I, I do like that you start making the distinction between autism and anxiety. Because I feel like a lot a lot of people who don't really understand autism automatically assume that because you're autistic, you are, you know, you, you're not good. You're yeah. healthy. Um, but it's, it's really the anxiety and the depression and the difficulties socializing with people that you that don't understand you that's the problem i think in my mind yeah you know i think another one of our problems just as an autistic population is that in general like if you look at the way the outside world perceives autism and the way the the diagnostic criteria is written it's all based on autistic people who are in extreme distress Yeah. So I am pretty sure that the medical community and the general public and, you know, just most of humanity has no idea what an autistic person with good mental health looks like. And I bet autistic people with good mental health 
you know, might be a rarity. And that's another thing I would love for us to be able to correct um, and, you know, see if we can look into. Uh, Because I hate that, you know, I hear stories um, of people saying, oh, well, they told me I'm just anxious because I'm autistic or, oh, well, I just have these problems because I'm autistic. And so their mental health, like they're trying to get help for mental health, but nobody will help them with those issues because they're like, oh, you're autistic. You're just, you know, depressed or you're just anxious. And it's like, you're completely dismissing these people's needs. Like you wouldn't do that with another patient. It's, um, it is a very difficult scenario. And I think that, as you said, yeah, the all, all of like the diagnosis and all the medical things only really um, go forward because there is a, a problem. Whereas like if there is a healthy autistic person that's sort of happy with their own, you know, maybe at school being on a little bit more on their own, very good mental health, like doing the things that they like, go about life feeling great. They don't get picked up because there's no problem. Yeah, they might not get a diagnosis. Because also, I think it's almost written in. I, I know it is in the American Diagnostic Book. I think it'll probably be in that, the, the one that you use over there too. Yeah. That you have to be actually like struggling in these areas. Mm-hmm. And like maybe you might have struggled with those things at once, but maybe you were always accommodated. So you won't know you're struggling until you take those accommodations away. And that's another thing, you know, like, you know, if I'm accommodated, I can really, really accelerate and do really well. But if I'm not accommodated, I can barely handle remedial work. Yeah. And I, I, I struggle with anything to do with executive functioning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm very yeah. good at like single task and, and doing something really well. But as soon as there's like more than three things that I have to do, my brain just like. Yeah, no, I can. I, I, I beg people, please don't give me any any verbal instructions. Like you're asking me these questions and some of them have more than one part to them. And I'm probably only answering the first part of your question and skipping a lot <laughs> of it because I can't remember all of that at once. Uh, like I get a lot done because I know I can't trust my executive functioning. And so it's like I have this ridiculous calendar and Google calendar and task list and scheduler. And it's like, I'm just going line by line and doing what it tells me to do next. And if I get off schedule, I just kind of shift it all down and like, okay, I'm working later now, or this has to be done tomorrow. But it's like, I am following that and like doing what it tells me to do when so that I can stay on task. Because if I didn't have that, I would just be lost. Nothing would get done. I, f- I feel exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Like, I sometimes try to deviate a little bit from it. Oh, <gasps> doesn't um, it ruin your life? <laughs> uh, it, it, it definitely does have a have a marked effect on um, my anxiety in particular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am I am sort of one of those people that likes quite a bit of freedom. Yeah. So I used to have a lot of I used to plan out my relaxation time when I was younger. I do that, um, <laughs> or I don't yeah. relax though. I have to. <laughs> yeah, but I th- I think for for me, there's like a happy medium between. Um, not feeling constricted by myself mm-hmm. and, and being able to actually function. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's like a thin line that everyone has to try to navigate to. Well, you know, I think it helps me with my anxiety to have everything like so scheduled because it's because I have so many things that absolutely have to get done. Like if I didn't have so many things that had, that had to get done, like I remember like 
just loving like as a kid like I used to crave like I don't want to have to look at a watch today like I would just crave time where (laughs) I would not have to look at a watch or know what time it was and so like on weekends like I kind of have that rule like I don't work I don't get on my computer I'm not you know so it's like that's just the Monday through Friday like there's some balance in there and so on the weekends it's like no working you know, it's, it's, I'm supposed to stay off social media and stuff, but that's harder. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely is. Moderation. (laughs) Um, so yeah, uh, we, we sort of talked a little bit about, you know, some of the main reasons why autistic individuals may struggle with anxiety. Cause I know, I know there is a very high, um, percentage of people on the autism spectrum with anxiety. Mm-hmm. And whether that is skewed a little bit because of, you know, picking only picking people up when they're struggling, I don't know. But we we do, you know, there's there's two sort of aspects to that. There's one one which is the social aspects and one which is the genetic out- aspects. Yeah. I did my degree at um Manchester University um in biomedical sciences and I did my dissertation on autism and mental health. And there is there is a very limited amount of research on that stuff, but from what I gather, there there seems to be some um, genetic tendencies towards anxiety. Mm-hmm. So, like tendency towards staying staying within thought loops. I know that yeah, um, our thought persists for like a lot longer than an average, you know, not neurotypical person. Yes. Um, <laughs> but there there are a lot of like (laughs) there are a lot of like genetic things but i'm still trying to figure out whether it's you know what what kind of like distribution is is it like yeah what do you think some of the like the social influences are like what why do you think we struggle so much yeah well you know i'm gonna preface this and say, you know, I can't speak for everyone. So just based on, you know, my, my personal experience, you know, like I've said, I think, yeah, of course, yeah. you know, my, my anxiety for me, it often flares up if I'm not being true to myself, you know, if I'm masking a lot, pretending to do things like pretending to go enjoy things I don't like to do, trying to conform to like what society's definition of success looks like. Um, you know, I'm worrying too much about other people's expectations. Like that's really, really toxic for me. Um, and you know, like what, what let, luckily, you know, I guess the toxic behavior led me to my diagnosis. And, you know, I feel like I almost, I probably would have killed myself on this like ridiculous quote, self-improvement, because I think self-improvement can be really dangerous if, you know, because you could, yeah, or just doing it the wrong way. Like if you don't go about self-improvement with self-compassion, um, you know, when, which is how I started my self-improvement. Like it's being really just hard on myself and really tough on myself. Um, and I was using non-autistic standards. Um, and so I stopped holding myself to non-autistic standards when I was diagnosed, but society often still tries to hold me and autistic, other autistic people to their, their standards. And they expect, so society kind of is doing, you know, something to autistic people that I think that's very hurtful. Um, And, you know, that's hard on the self-esteem. And, you know, when my self-esteem dips, you know, my mental health dips, like I said earlier. Um, And, you know, if I feel like I'm not good enough, um, you know, for what I, you know, I, I kind of 
begin to like fall apart, you know, and many autistic people, you know, we're told we're flawed, we're broken people, uh, sometimes from a young age, even without the autism diagnosis, because it's like, there's other names, there's like freak and weirdo and twitchy and, you know, yeah. All, uh, yeah. there, there were all these names. Um, Do you think like the sort of early childhood bullying is quite a large part of anxiety as well? Because I know like the stats on bullying are way higher yeah. than average. Yeah, you know what? Um, I think the bullies, that's what I'm saying, like even without the autism diagnosis, um, I think the bullies, the bullies know. They know different when they see it. So, you know, when I, I asked one teacher to make the bullies like stop and she responded to me that the other kids would leave me alone if I would just act normal. You know, and oh. I was acting normal. I didn't have any idea what she was oh. talking about. Um, but the message was that I was some kind of, you know, freak, and that or that, and that came across really loud and clear um, to me. You know, and that's quite that's quite personal. Yeah, um, and I, I the bullies didn't leave me alone until I was, you know, probably maybe a preteen and I started to realize like I could put a mask on and be someone else and people would leave me alone and I could blend in. And sometimes that was even like, okay, like I would be a bully sometimes because that's what the other kids were doing. And that's what would, you know, like I, it was like, well, if I'm a bully, they'll leave me alone because I'm too tough to mess with. And that's terrible. And those are like, those are things I really regret, you know, to this day, because I didn't always know how to, deal with, you know, things in a positive way. Um, because there wasn't really anyone trying to help me. And the teacher's response when I asked for help was like, well, just be normal, you know, and I didn't understand even what she meant by that, you know, so it's like, okay, well, apparently, it's okay to be a bully, because the teachers, like, encourage this behavior, you know, so it sends really, really bad messaging. Um, and so you got to realize too, and like, I remember too, and I know this, and we're told this, but as kids, we don't believe it. You know, did you ever, were you ever told as a kid that a bully is, you know, oh, you should feel sorry for your bullies because, you know, they're, they're people who are hurt and they're, they're people who are hurt, you know, have gone through things and that's why they're bullies and that's why they lash out. And yeah, I know that now, but as a kid, what? I feel sorry for the bully. They're going to beat me up. <laughs> right? Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. School, school environments are just... Mainstream schools, in particular, are very difficult. Mm -hmm. I was um I was diagnosed when I was about ten. Okay. So it was quite early on, just just coming into secondary school, um, which I think for you is, oh, I'm just trying to think of the American conversion. It might be middle school. Maybe middle school then, or it's like yeah. at the end of elementary school. It's getting up there. Yeah, I I knew that I was sort of different when I went into these environments but I know there are a few so not fixed differences but a few sort of um if you you know look at the the stats on things which I know is not always reliable but girls tend to have a lot easier of a time like masking and all of that like uh, social mimicry and usually are a little bit less detectable than guys. Would you Would you agree with that? Well, I, I I say you have to have a disclaimer with that. 
you can't because I don't think that girls are naturally born in any way that makes them easier to blend in. I just think society has really particular expectations for girls so much so like nobody will keep you in check as a little girl more than the other little girls. Little girls are mean and I was terrified of little girls when I was a little girl. I was so terrified of the other little girls. I didn't want to be a little girl when I was a little girl. Like I really was like, no, I am supposed to be a boy. This is not okay. You know, those girls are terrible. Like I did not understand like girl world or girl anything, you know, for a very, very long time. And even now, like I have a few female friends, but a lot of my friends like tend to be like guys like the guys are always like oh she's one of the guys and it's like yeah yeah that's really that's really strange because um i'm so i was sort of the opposite ah i always i thought like for for a long time that i sh- i should be a girl because I, I really didn't understand the whole i didn't understand like the way that guys worked and i just thought that uh-huh. girls were a lot more sort of emotionally in involved and cared a lot more maybe it was because of like the the tone of the voice or i don't know what it was but yeah i I was sort of like the opposite opposite to you i suppose (laughs) but how does society say boys are supposed to be at least over here like guys are supposed to be tough and macho and all of these things not talk about emotions yeah emotionless whether or not they are (laughs) (laughs) yeah but yeah, like I didn't, I didn't mask. I didn't really start masking until I, it was never sort of like an active process. I never really did it. I'm, I'm more or less just um, went internally into myself. The way that I coped with anxiety at school um, was I, I developed some delusion of grandeur, mm. which is it's very weird, and it's very embarrassing to talk about. Very much so, but. Because I, I felt so different to everybody else. I sort of, instead of trying to integrate myself, I separated myself off by yeah. like saying I was some kind of different species or all that kind of thing. And yeah. I think like everyone deals with it differently. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like that was just because the anxiety was too much and being different was too much and I couldn't, I couldn't act socially for the life of me. In it, well, I could act socially, but not in the way that other kids can. And kids are harsh if you don't fit in. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think you're alone, though, in thinking you might be some unhuman creature, though. Like, you know, because like I, I when I was little, there was this, like, there's a book series and there's a silly little cartoon movie, too. And I, I, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it was called Banicula. And it was like a little vampire bunny rabbit. And he didn't eat people. He ate the juice out of vegetables. <laughs> it was so cute. But I was convinced because the little bunny rabbit, you know, with the light, since I have a lighting sensitivity, I was like, oh, I must be part vampire or something because the light bothers me. And so I was like probably like five or six. And I was like, I need to sleep in a cardboard box. I need to sleep in a cardboard box because it's my coffin. <laughs> it's my coffin. <laughs> So are you, I mean, are you making this up? No. <laughs> that was my that was my delusion for about four or five years. <laughs> See? See, you're not alone. That's crazy. Uh, I've heard other autistic people say like they felt like they were aliens that were left here. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's 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 hard, isn't it? Because if nobody gives you a reason or 
you don't have anyone to look up to and have have as a role model then you, you sort of try to figure out stuff yourself and you have to rationalize as a kid <laughs> yeah you can't rationalize that well when you're like an elementary school child unfortunately oh, that's crazy that's crazy <laughs> no way that's- all right well you've just you've literally blown my mind um <laughs> I I honestly feel a lot better about my uh, embarrassing story now. You want to hear one of my embarrassing stories? (laughs) Go for it. It's worse. You could feel a lot better. I had an imaginary friend dog, and it was Astro from the Jetsons. And he would help me flush things down the toilet in my grandparents' house. (laughs) 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 Ah, so bad. And we, we would like to, but you know, I loved like just putting things in and watching it swirl and swirl. I don't know how old I was with that. I was really young with that because I think they even let me get away with it. So I was pretty young. (laughs) I I must have been maybe in preschool or something. Oh, well, you have less like my my mind is blown. Okay, (laughs) right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What can um, what can autistic individuals do to alleviate? anxiety that's the uh yeah so it's you know again i was gonna say it's different for everyone but we already know this is different for everyone because i said for me i make a point to schedule my downtime (laughs) and so that alleviates my anxiety um but that you know might not be for everyone but that helps um because i and i schedule that time where i'm going to engage specifically in relaxing activities that help me slow down my mind Um, you know, because I, in case you haven't noticed, am a million miles a minute kind of a person (laughs) (laughs) and I have to work really hard at slowing down. I'm always constantly kind of putting effort into like slowing myself self down. Um, and so like activities like walking, hiking, swimming, you know, yoga, coloring, all that mindfulness and meditation stuff that I like hanging out with the dogs, you know, a dog in your lap, petting a dog. It's so nice, you know, or, or, you know, engaging in one of my interests, if it's a relaxing interest, because there can be interests that amp you up, you know? Yeah. And so that, that wouldn't be appropriate. My amping up interest was like philosophy and physics and reality and all of that Mm -hmm. like I was really interested in that stuff but it brought me a lot of terror into my life yeah yeah like yeah that that, exactly um and so I'm also really mindful too of the types of input I allow you know into my new my sphere of influence like news what podcasts I listen to like I don't watch the news hardly ever I go to the news website and I look at the weather you know I'm mindful of the radio I listen to Um, I'm really extremely mindful of my social media news feed and like what's what's on my social media feed um because you know all of that like matters and like what you're putting into your brain kind of sets the tone like even the music Mm -hmm. you listen to like And so, like, I know, like, oh, I need more of these things that kind of counteract the the desire that my brain has to be worried too much about the future all the time. Mm Because my brain is always trying to be in the future, you know, and that's like, and that's the thing, that's like this duality that I see so much since my autism diagnosis, how like, yes, all of those things that are in that book 
are written down as a as a bad thing, you know, in the diagnostic manual, but there's two sides to every coin. So it's like, without that, I wouldn't have this. And so with like the anxiety, it's like, yeah, it's really plaguing to constantly be worried about the future all the time and be like the next step and the next step and the next step and the next step. But that I think runs parallel to like the problem solving ability. You know, my brain is just wired to be looking for problems. And that's like, it can be, it can literally be madness. (laughs) you know i understand <laughs> but it's also a gift equally it's a uh it's a gift and it's a terror it really is <laughs> yeah it's tricky yeah i'm I'm still trying to find find a good happy medium between that as well mm-hmm. <laughs> how stressed should i be about life i don't know yeah what's reasonable <laughs> you know what's what's um enough for relaxation that's gonna make sure that i enjoy something Mm-hmm. sadly it's always about like happy mediums and it's never set in stone what you should do um i think there are there are certain things that you can do that help anxiety in general so i think for, for autistic people it's it's really important to develop like a framework for um how you view things mm-hmm. so i talked to someone before about um stoicism do you know any do you know about stoicism a little bit not not an expert (laughs) it's kind of yeah it's kind of like you deal with things that you can deal with and you try and move past things that you can't control and i think everyone everyone i think people on the spectrum really benefit from having sort of a default way of yeah being something concrete and black and white and to a degree like not 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 to dictate everything in your life but something guidance. to sort of some guidance well that's why i, I like buddhism <laughs> i love yeah i love buddhism as well it was great it yeah. was like lists checklists rules structure ah mm-hmm. system it's a system <laughs> <laughs> love it so it's a clean cut you know I think um, those sort of w- ways of viewing things and ways of defaulting to are important. And then you've also got like the aspects of making sure that you understand what sensory things you have going on. Mm-hmm. And you know what's really important that I didn't even mention and I feel negligent if I don't throw it in there? Um, Go for it. Learning about what like anxiety, like, the physiology like the body reactions the chemistry that what is happening in your brain and like the logic behind what's going on when anxiety happens to understand that process because I think that was like I had that was the first step so that was the precursor to anything else I mentioned it's like you have to actually understand what's happening in your body when you're having an anxiety attack or like what you like you need to understand what anxiety is what triggers it and like why it exists so that you can sit with it and recognize it when it's happening um, and start to get to the point where you can like, oh, this is anxiety and now I'm going to recognize it and you've got to recognize it sooner and sooner so that you've recognized it before it gets the best of you and you're already out of control. Yeah, and I feel, I feel like there is um, there, there, there is sort of something that I've been thinking about for a long time and I feel like... It, it, you know, it's it's not like something concrete, but I feel like 
we we do have a hard time recognizing emotions up to a point. It's kind of like、Some. well, for me, yeah, for me, for me, it's like my I have like a threshold of intensity of emotion、mm-hmm. before I recognize that something's happening, and it, there came came a point where I was trying to figure out what different emotions felt like, and one of those things that I started on first was anxiety because that was like the main. Sort of all-consuming emotion that I was feeling on a daily、yeah. basis, and I, I found a lot of use in feelings in my body, so like、mm-hmm. muscle tension, my breathing rate, how fast fast I feel,、mm-hmm. and all of those kind of things. Like noticing it as well is important, and also noticing, as you said, being mindful and noticing when things are helping as well. Yeah. Yeah, having having awareness of it is is really important. I think that the main thing for me, not the main thing, but one of the important things for me was exercise. I know it's sort of like a blanket anxiety sort of. Oh, you should you know doctors, you go to doctor.、Oh, I've got anxiety. I feel like I'm really anxious. Well,、oh, I do some exercise. I feel、mm-hmm. like it's a bit of a like blanket thing, but.、Um, I I fidget so much in bed and I can't sleep and I get sometimes get panic attacks in the evening, and other than medication, the only real way that I can relax after after a day is is exercising. Like, I feel like there's so much pent up energy in my body all、mm-hmm. the time, and I know that it can be different for people as well, but. For me, like exercise is really important. Yeah, I, I I think like I used to have more like I worked like physical jobs like when I started out and was in, like in fast food management and things when I was younger,、um, and like I know like when I had physical jobs that weren't like needed my brain power that as much and I was like moving and doing things and it was a lot of like autopilot almost、um, mm-hmm. like those types of jobs. Like I actually had a lot more even tolerance for the sensory environment because I was moving. And it's like with the jobs, like where I have a desk job all day, like my sensory tolerance with I need to be focused is much lower.、Um, and it's like my brain gets tired before my body does. And so then it's like if I don't somehow like regulate that piece that you know was missing, you know, getting that physical body energy out, it's like I'm not gonna be able to sleep. It's gonna, it's just bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, what what you just said resonated very much so with my first my first time at a mainstream school. <laughs> so I do like special needs teaching and stuff, and、um, yeah, it's it's I think、um, sort of sitting on my own inside sometimes can be more taxing because even if I'm just like going to a coffee shop or a library or going into town and sitting down somewhere. I still feel like I'm losing energy from my brain, unless I'm just completely sensorily isolated. If that's a that's a term,、mm-hmm. like it it does seem to just help. It's important. Definitely. Right. So let's. My my iPad's turned off, and I'm trying to find the questions again. That is like my eternal problem when I'm like doing something. Like my notes go to sleep. I'm like, no. 
my notes. <laughs> executive functioning. Notes are necessary. Like, I, I, there's a secret to why I look so organized. <laughs> okay, so um, alleviating your own anxiety. There's a lot of avenues for it, of course. But is there anything that others can do to help? To help with anxiety and autistic people that they know or just people in general? Yeah. Oh, I, th- I think the most important thing, you know, would be to ask the autistic person what they need, you know, if possible. And, you know, offer maybe to turn down the lights or make the room quieter because, you know, with, with me, anytime, you know, being a sensory being, I'm, just, I'm a sensory being. So anytime my brain is tired, like, or overwhelmed or not at optimal peak performance is when my sensory stuff is more aggravating and things that wouldn't necessarily normally bother me will now all of a sudden be a, a bothersome. Uh, and so it's like, oh my gosh, it just got really bright in here. You know, all of that. So it's like, you know, make, make it a more sensory friendly environment because that can definitely make anxiety worse. Um, it's like, I know, like I've had anxiety about sensory processing because I'm like I don't I'm anxious that I'm going to have sensory overload because it's so unpleasant you know um so it's like don't you know that can that can make things worse and then the other thing is like oh gosh please don't tell people to calm down like let them know you're there and you want to help maybe just you know sit quietly hold space for them um and just realize that anxiety uh, can be and usually is very overwhelming uh, and the person may need some time to like calm down before they can actually even respond to you. So like, don't take it personally or like sit there and just be like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? That's so stressful. I need to fix you. I need to fix you. How can I help? Yeah. Yeah. No, you can't just, just hold space for me. Okay. Just like, you know, and it's like, I'm embarrassed, but I will admit like, you know, when, when you're really anxious, like that's when you say the things you regret to your loved ones, right? We were talking about, you know, how it impacts our relationship. And it's like, that's when I'm going to lash out at someone is when I'm feeling overwhelmed and I can't take anymore. And then I say something that I, that's completely out of character because it's like, normally I would have the social filter to, to say, do not say this to someone that's not okay. But all of that's gone because there is now no brain capacity left because I am now overwhelmed. Using up all of your energy and... Yeah. So, like, don't take it personally if they're short with you or maybe they sound kind of blunt or they're speaking in a harsh way. It's like there, there's no, there probably is no mental capacity left for any social filters if someone's really overwhelmed. I, I don't have them no, anymore. I completely agree. <laughs> I think, like, also... You know, sometimes um, and I, the idea of like a meltdown is um, p- people expect you to go crazy. And some people some people do get sort of very hyper emotional and scatterbrained and anxious and all of that. But some people don't do that. Some people just retreat within themselves and can't talk and verbalize things and they're very blunt and direct with anything that they say mm-hmm. especially I, I found especially in relationships that can be a, a problem because if if you feel very overwhelmed by a conversation or anything like that then sometimes you break you can't do anything but your brain just shuts down and you can't formulate thoughts and that can be very hard and that can sometimes be a consequence of anxiety and 
all of that. I think, yeah, just having awareness of and asking about it, that's, that's, that's like the best thing that you can do for someone. Just say, what can I do to help in those situations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, ask about it. That's yeah. the main thing. Just get an idea of what happens in their brain in those instances. Try and have a bit of empathy towards it. Ask what you, you can do to help after, not at the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they might answer you, but don't keep asking. Like You can ask maybe once, but if they don't answer you, like, let it go, you know? Uh, meltdowns are embarrassing, you know? Like, I will admit, like, I even, like, all of the, the, the spectrum of different kinds of, like, from a shutdown to, like, a full-blown meltdown where you're, like, punching yourself. Like, I, I've done all of those things um, within the past couple of years, depending on the situation. Like a lot of it is really situational and like those really bad meltdowns don't usually come from nowhere. Usually there is something like very, very, very emotionally upset for me. Anyway, there's usually a very intense emotional trigger for me or something that feels like a big emotional trigger for me for it to be that bad. Or, you know, like maybe like just, I have been under this ridiculous, 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 unrealistic amount of pressure. And then finally it's like, I can't take anymore. And then it explodes. And, and so like those things they, that really that that can fluctuate. Um, but, you know, that's not common. That's not my everyday reaction. And, you know, it's like usually that's why I say, you know, I, I know where I can run and cry in the bathroom. It's like hysterical crying where I can't control myself and I can't talk and I can't do anything but cry. And it's like, I just need to go hide because I don't want people asking me why I can't talk and why I'm just crying. And, you know knocks your self-esteem so much as well like after you just go into this slump where all your energy is Mm -hmm. expended you feel terrible and you feel like everyone hates you and that you're putting people out and it's um i yeah i I sort of managed to like realize that every every i'm saying every time most times when i have a meltdown there is like a a slump Mm-hmm. less anxious a bit more relaxed but I feel terrible and I feel like I'm I feel I feel like I'm not who I am it sort of takes a bit away from myself it, it makes me feel really bad about myself yeah yeah like oh gosh I'm the monster yeah you could you could the best thing you can do I believe Ask, ask autistic people. So let's let's go a little very quickly over this next point. What are the big problems with? Well, maybe what are the problems with society of over where you live that make it difficult to be autistic and not have these anxiety problems? Yeah. So I mean, I think as a whole, society doesn't talk enough about mental health, and it might be a bit better in the UK. Is my impression. Uh, but in America, you know, people's attitudes towards anxiety and mental health issues are often only the weak people have them. That is kind of the mindset, unfortunately, and we, we know that's a lie. Um, but, you know, I think you have to be very strong, actually, even to live with anxiety because it is it, it tests you every day. It makes you strong because you're like, ah, you, you have to deal with this thing. You know, you have to and you keep going about your day anyway. 
You know, I think it takes strength to do that. You know, there's, there's this monster in my head constantly telling me that everything I do isn't good enough. You know, it tells me I'm messing everything up. It's always there, you know, giving me these words of doubt, uh, keeping me company, you know, in my mind right there. And it's like, I know I can't trust those doubts. Um, and it's hard because it's like, I can't trust myself. So it's like, I have to make peace with uh, those thoughts and, or just ignore them because I know they're lies and just get on with my life. And the anxiety is still there, but you know, it doesn't control me. Um, but you know, autistic people, you know, we're constantly told we're not good enough. Um, and you know, we're, we're, we're not broken non-autistic people, uh, and we, we don't need to act less autistic, you know, but there, that stigma that's out there where it tells us otherwise really does eat away at people's self-esteem and their self-worth. And, you know, children are growing up in that narrative and it's really, really crushing. Um, and I think that's kind of the, the summary of the entire <laughs> we've got as autistic people <laughs> just just from the comments that i get on my, my youtube channel and stuff there seems to be just so many people out there who just struggle like they just don't receive any help um i think one of one of the main barriers for um people in the uk is that we do have a pretty pretty good sort of um special needs sector so there is some support there. It's not perfect and it could do with some improving. But post like 16, there is zip. Like maybe a little uh. bit of help with exams at university. Um, maybe some sort of GP appointments because, you know, like it's we, we have the NHS. So we get sort of not free, yeah. but it's taxed healthcare. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed. Yeah, but there is no, that there's some, there's, you know, sort of mental health systems and services that help mm. people, like, sometimes maybe they don't do a good job, but um, for a lot of people, it can sort of help a little bit. But when it comes to autistic people, there is nothing out there at all that can, I mean, <laughs> there is stuff out yeah. there, but it's all the other way, end of the end of the country it's private and you know because most things are privatized you know people usually go through the nhs it's very expensive and there is not a lot of uh, mental health professionals that are, are also sort of specialized in autism and there's just nothing like you can do post 16 to, to deal with it other than doing it all yourself and I think like like that's a big that's a big like contributor to it. Um, so there needs to be something done about that. But until people realize that being diagnosed with autism doesn't immediately put you in the "I'm ill" category, nothing's going to change because people don't see the autism with mental health. They see autism. That's a problem. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> They don't want to hear about our mental health issues. They're just like, oh, no, you're autistic. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Excuse me. I could probably get get more help if I go and just say I need help with anxiety and not tell them I'm autistic. And then maybe they'd help, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they would, they would, they do help to some extent. And, <laughs> but, you know, we work differently and we, we don't take to counseling the same way. We don't take to CBT the same way met a lot of autistic people that I know in the UK just give up on it because it doesn't work. Mm. I had it for 
five or six years, it did diddly squat for me. Nothing. <laughs> mm. Um, but yeah, I think like that, that's one of the main reasons in the UK. But yeah, it's it is interesting to sort of compare uh, the UK and the US because I know our cultures are very similar, but but there's a lot of ways that we are different as well, and obviously there's a lot there's different sort of ways of viewing it as well. I mean, it's a you it's a big place as well, so it's it differs depending on your state and. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's. I think globally, I feel like we need some new systems. It doesn't sound like anybody has the perfect system because I hear problems with our system and problems with, you know, everybody. Like nobody's system is like quite perfect. No. Yeah, I agree. Um, but we can try, Kyle. We can try and fix it or tr- try mm-hmm. our very best to alleviate um, some of the difficulties of. Being being on planet Earth and being you know different, <laughs> yeah. So cool. What are the three things that we've mentioned? Do you think that are the most important to take away? Some of the things that you've mentioned. Well, we've we've gone a lot. So I say, how about you know? I think the most important thing actually is that you know we really do need to talk about these issues autism, anxiety, mental health, all of it. You know, I, I wasn't able to live my best life personally until I had all, all the information. You know, I needed to know I was autistic. Um, now that I know I live a more autistic lifestyle, um, you know, I know I have anxiety and I'm finally doing something about it. You know, knowledge really is power. Um, and we really need to spread knowledge um, and have more of these open and honest conversations like we're doing here today. I think that's so important. Um, and then the other thing, you know, I think that's also extremely important is, you know, to remember that, you know, autistic people, like we're always going to be autistic. You know, we get a lot of, some of us are diagnosed in, as children, but, you know, when we grow up, we're, we're not less autistic or we're not no longer autistic anymore. Um, and, you know, the, their, you know, experience and their presentation may change and evolve over the years. And, but, you know, autism isn't something that can be removed from a person because, you know, essentially, you know, unlike anxiety, like to which we said, it's just our biggest enemy here that we don't like, um, you know, a lot of us, myself included, you know, we say, you know, it's, it's a big part of, you know, who we are. And like, you know, if you remove that, it's like, it's my interests, it's my personality, it's my experience of the world. I wouldn't be the same human being if I wasn't autistic. Brilliant. That's, that's great. Is, is there any any last one that you want to mention or is oh gosh yeah uh, we've i know i'm trying to well see executive functioning i i you know i think we're good because i can't remember everything we've talked on <laughs> <Me neither. laughs> we've talked on so many things today it's been a really great chat i think it has been as well but we got one last one and one last one that i try and ask everybody who comes on the podcast what does autism mean to you very open i know and very much interpretable in many ways. I think that's a great question, though. I, I love I love that you asked that to everyone because you know everyone's going to have a different answer to it. Um, and so, I guess for me, I would say autism is something you know it is very personal. But you know, when I was diagnosed, it was as if you know I had my own ugly duckling story. I was finding out you know that I was autistic, and I was 
able to start being kinder to myself and I stopped holding myself to impossible non-autistic standards. It allowed me to develop more self-compassion, which was something I had never had much of before. In fact, I remember being 18 and distinctly feeling like I hated myself. That's a very clear feeling. And I don't feel that anymore. But, you know, receiving that diagnosis was like getting a handbook to my life. It was as if everyone around me had always had like a secret instruction book for how to act in certain situations. They knew things naturally that I really was struggling to grasp, even through work. And then, you know, at the age of 29, I was granted my own handbook. I found out I was autistic. And then everything started to make sense. It's important for me, I say I am autistic and not I have autism. And like, because like I was saying earlier, it really does influence everything about me and the choices I make, my hobbies, the things I love. And it's the reason I am, you know, a sensory being who spends most of their time working on projects alone instead of socializing. And the reason I experience my emotions and the world around me in an intense way. You know, I see patterns in things and I struggle to let things go. It's who I am. I'm not with autism. I am autism. And with autism, like, it sounds like an accessory that you can remove and leave behind. And it's really just such a big piece. And I think that's what I want people to realize the most is it really is like not this extra accessory or a bag I can put down or a necklace I can take off or a hat I can wear. It's, you know, it's not my cat's name. You know, I'm an autistic person. <laughs> Brilliant. Awesome. Very much like that was a very good answer. <laughs> I like that a lot. Uh, I might have to like section that out and like take a clip from. I ramble. <laughs> I ramble. I know. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, um, we've talked about a lot today, and uh-huh. I'm feeling like this is going to be the longest podcast, but it is definitely one of the most interesting ones I've had so far. So thank you so much. Thank you. I'm actually fairly easy to track down. Um, if you if you search for Neurodivergent Rebel on Google, I do have a website at neurodivergentrebel.com and there's links to everything there. But if you you know search for me on social media, I am pretty much I'm on every platform, I'm on everywhere. I'm on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and all of that. The one exception is Twitter is actually Neuro Rebel instead of Neurodivergent Rebel because it was too long, I guess. Or maybe someone has it. I don't know, but it wouldn't let me get <laughs> Neurodivergent Rebel. So I'm just Neuro Rebel on Twitter. Um, but other than that, I'm, I'm really easy to track down. <laughs> <laughs> and I will definitely put some all of those links in the description um, of this YouTube slash Spotify thing. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Everybody listening, thank you so much for listening um, to us talk and monologue and exchange ideas about anxiety and autism. And and I I'm very willing to you know I want to hear from you. Let me know what you think. Tell me some of the ways that anxiety has affected you. Some of the ways that you view it. Some of the ways that you've coped with it. I want to hear it. So let me know. You can let me know on my social medias, of course, at Asperger's Growth, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. 
And if you want to appear on the podcast or you want to message me directly, uh, you can always reach me at the Asperger's at gmail.com email address. So uh, yeah, go check that out. Krista, it's been awesome talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Have you enjoyed it? Oh my gosh, thank you so much. It's been so fun. I always enjoy like these really great thought-provoking conversations. It, it's, it's been a pleasure. It's, it's been my honor. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. <laughs> anyway, people, thank you for listening again. And I know I say that a lot, but you're awesome. And, you know, if you, if you want to catch this podcast anywhere, YouTube, Spotify, as I've said, I, I never know how to finish these, these episodes. And I think I always finish these episodes talking about how I don't know how to finish them. So I think that's the way that I finish them. Um, <laughs> it's my own little inner, inner working to finishing them. See you later, peeps. Bye. <laughs> I really need like a standardized way of doing this. You can just script it out one day. <laughs> I will do. <laughs>